I want to talk a little bit about another subject too, which a lot of people have, and that's depression. And uh, uh, freedom from depression is not possible. But what is possible is some modification of it, so it's not as bad. Is there anybody here that's never depressed when you raise your hand? Okay. Is anybody that ne ne never falls in a deep depression? Raise your hand. Is there anybody that falls in a deep depression? Yeah. Right here, baby. As your man. Okay. okay. Now, as I put forth the answers, or some of the answers to this question, there may not be answers in your terms. So when I, whenever I deliver a lecture, I give you what I consider answers, but it doesn't get to you. It doesn't come to it. It's no answer. So what you're supposed to do is say, I get it or I don't get it. And if you don't get it, you got to let me know, because then I'll change the example. And if you get your mask on that high chair behind that guy, so oh, you I'm can sure. see over him. Go ahead, so he can see the guy. Yeah, I'll get chair. Up there. You move your chair where his chair is, and then he can block. This is getting me awfully depressed, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Anybody want to try a, a definition of depression? First. What do you mean by depression? What does depression mean? Oh, what do you mean by depression? Gee, I don't know. It could be anything. Oh, I know what the feeling negative. is. Feeling negative. Or thinking negative. All right. That's a, a fairly good. Anybody else want to say anything else about it? Somehow it's a state of emotional immobility. <laughs> it's mobile. Oh, okay. Depression from this point of view now is a series of habits that one develops that lead nowhere but to confusion and stress and continue that way. It's a habit. Does anyone understand that definition? It's a habit that leads to confusion and has no way out. Depression sometimes eases just over a period of time because you're further away from the event that caused it. So you tap that one over by a Mac truck and you're very depressed as time goes on. We generally ease out. And just about when we get up here, there's something else that occurs and we die. Some people die very quickly in a way. And some people become depressed over a slow period. And most normal people eventually return like that. Now depression is some area of our behavior that we haven't worked on. We haven't really studied it and worked on it. So it continues. There are many people here that have continuous depressions, and I'm not talking about biochemical depression. Here's what that means. Not eating, not getting the right vitamins, or that kind of or a tumor of the brain. I'm not talking about that type. I'm talking about the pure psychological state as a habit. Now I'll talk a little about, bit about habits, so you know what I mean by that. I mentioned yesterday, I think, that if you have about six or seven or ten horses in a barn, and the barn catches fire, and you leave the horses out of the barn. And when you get them away from the barn, about 200 feet, let them go. And they run back into the barn. I don't know whether you knew this. Anybody know this? What's that? Even if it's on fire. But if the horses are in the barn and the door is open, they're not chained at all, as the fire burns, they'll come running out. And they'll stay near the barn. And after the barn is all burned to the ground, they will walk around there. Because the barn to a horse is what? Uh, what else is it? Security. 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 What else? Food. Uh, it's a place uh, where the rain doesn't fall, lightning doesn't fall. There are other horses there. They're fed there. They're washed there. Associationally, it's everything, the barn. So when you rip the barn down, 
the horse looks around for barn-like structure because the horse is at a loss and going back into that barn is a habit. It has been relatively stable. Now, there are some people that come from a home of misery. That's right. Misery. Mm -hmm. People argue there and depress them. You'll never amount to anything. Nothing. But they've never known anything else. So when you leave town and you can't get a job and people look at you as a stranger, you go back to that because you've never known enough other alternatives. Is that clear? So people have a vocabulary of behavior. Things to do. On payday, you go out and get drunk, you get laid, then you go home and work the rest of the week. That's a habit. Now, very few people on payday rush to a bookstore and pick up a batch of books, and rush to an art supply store and pick up drawing materials, or go to a roller skating ring. You know, they don't have enough things. So, if you can build a vocabulary of behavior whereby you have art supplies, Wednesdays you go roller skating, Thursdays swimming, then you go down to the bay sailing. I don't mean that you do all these things. But if you build enough of behavioral areas that are pleasant, when you destroy two, it's not enough to create depression because you've got so many others. But if you keep saying, why didn't Virginia call me this week? She could have called me. And all day long you sit at the phone waiting <laughs> for Virginia to call you. Now that habit is only based on giving Virginia top billing. You know what that means in the movie industry? Top billing? In the theater? Top billing is the actor. If you give Virginia top billing and the fact that you're the best dressed man in town top billing, when somebody moves into town better dressed than you are, and Virginia go out, goes out with Sam, then you've been wiped out. You don't even have a barn. The horse has a barn. <coughs> so you don't have an emotional barn, okay? Now, there are other emotional barns, which are burning. An emotional barn, when you run into depression, if you go out and get drunk, that's going into another burning barn. Because you're going to wake up with a hangover and the problem's still going to be there. Right? So think of how many emotional bonds you've got as you go through that are burning. Alright, here's the way you get out of it. You usually don't get out of a depression. But what you do is develop habits when you're not in a depression that are fulfilling. Other habits. Try moving around. Some people buy cookbooks and they cook Spanish foods and French foods and Greek foods. And some people go to the cooking exhibitions and shows. You know, and some people spend time and they join the chef's club where they discuss things and somebody cooks and you taste it. I'm not suggesting that you do that. But there are people that have enough alternatives so the destruction of anyone doesn't leave them in midair. It, it, drama is a good thing. But drama doesn't always reinforce, except when you get a job. But drama could be very painful if you're an actor and you can't get a job. And you keep walking around telling everybody I'm an actor and I can't get a job. Is that right? Then you depressed again. Now, here's this guy that wants to date women. He goes out and he can't get it. He can't make out with women. He can't relate to them. But he has to go out with women. And the depression is always follows the fact that you approach somebody and they say no. And you always wind up with depression. Rather than saying, well, what is it that people say no about? They say no about habits they don't identify with. If I went into a, a strict Baptist church, and try to date any one of the 90 available girls, they would all reject my point of view. And I will depress continuously, just like I go to a Baptist church continuously. And there are a lot of people that go to Baptist church continuously and wonder why they're depressed. So, you stick yourself into a zone where depression can be generated. Now, if you join up with a lot of people that are, have a low-level value system, low-grade value system, here's what that means, usually occurs in an industrial plant where people without much training work. And one of them says, there comes sloppy fingers Joe. 
You know what I mean? Because if you drop something one day, they hang a label on you. And uh, when you come in, say, what did you drop today? They're always coming at you. <laughs> enough to depress you. You know what I mean? So you keep going back to that burning barn because you don't go anyplace else. Now to go someplace else, you don't know how to make contact with other people. Because they have, if you make contact only with hairstylists, that's your world of conversation. Mm -hmm. But if you make contact with others, you can build other world contact. Now depression. Like I said before, depression doesn't start here. It starts somewhere, by some signal. And what you have to do is like the engineers do, which I tried to describe yesterday. The engineer puts a propeller on an airplane, and then when he winds it up to a certain speed, it flies apart. That used to happen in the day. Scientists want to know how fast they can whirl a steel ball. So they put it on bearings, and they start to whirl it, and the whole goddamn ball flew apart at a certain speed. So another scientist says, make the ball smaller, and then it can go faster without falling apart because it doesn't have the same mass. And finally they wind up with a little baby about this size, which they spun at, I forget what it was, several million revolutions per second by an electromagnet. And when they turned it off, it took one year to stop spinning. <laughs> now, uh, they have to identify the problem that the thing flies apart. So when an airplane propeller flies apart, they don't know when to put it on an airplane, they put it on a test rack designed for flying apart propellers. It's got a shield all around it, you know, a concrete wall. And they rev up that propeller until it, until it flies apart. If a normal airplane propeller turns at 3,000 revolutions per minute, they rev it up to 4,000. And if it still holds together, it says on the propeller, do not rev beyond 3,000. But they have a safety line. They identify the problem and then give you a handbook of instruction. Do not keep your sewing machine out in the rain. You know, they give you a handbook of instruction to say, identify the problem. Normal people that have problems say, I'm depressed. That's one part of the, of the problem. The next thing is, what makes me depressed? What makes me depressed? And then you have to identify one, two, three, four. Here's what makes me depressed. I act in a plan and the guy says, boy, you should allow such a plan. Without you, it would have been terrific. So I'm sensitive to criticism. I, I just make a black mark there and write sensitive to criticism, so whatever the hell it is. I get that down. This isn't dealing with the problem yet, but it's partly dealing with it. Next thing, the guy says to me, you and your big fucking fat shoes. In Florida, everybody wears white stuff. They, they have to press the shit out of me. That's another form of criticism about dress. Another thing I can't stand is when I put my arm around a girl, she says, please. <laughs> that depresses me. Uh, rejection. <laughs> no end. See, so I make and the, now I know what the areas are that depress me. At least I've identified them. But most people just feel depressed. And you say, what bothers you? And you say, I don't know. Just I tell you, life isn't worth a shit. And they, they go on because they don't identify the problem. Now let's try it again. You put normal people, non-psychological problems, mechanical, in the boat. Here they are. And say that they don't have any outside depressions. They like boats. You in that boat, sees water squirting in from the boat. You see water in the boat, and you see it squirting in from area. You can identify quickly the position of a problem. The next thing is, you don't have any cotton to shove in that hole. There's nothing in the boat. So you cut off a piece of your shirt. And your wife says, I paid $9 for that shirt in the boat. <laughs> so you pull it out and put it back in your pocket, and you sink. You know what I mean? So there are times when a shirt has no value at all except in that hole, you know, since you can't swim a mile, you know, unless you can swim a mile. But if you're a mile offshore and you can't swim very well, fuck the shirt. 
Now, if you don't have a shirt, say you got bathing shorts, take your wife's bra and shove it in that hole. You know what I'm talking about? Well, did he? It's like the boy with his finger in the hole. Yeah, right. Like right. Okay. So, this is problem solving because the problem is identified. You don't want water in the boat, and the water comes from this area, and the only way to do it is to plug up that area. One movie with Laurel and Hardy, they were both in a boat, and water started to come in. And Stan, the fat guy, thin guy, Stan, and Laurel is the fat guy, mm -hmm. and he says to Stan, let the water out of the boat. And Stan goes like this. So Stan pulls the cork out of the bottom of the boat. There's a cork in the bottom of most boats. So when you dry land it, you pull the cork out and let the water out. But in the water, when you pull the cork out, so the boat started to get more water, so you should pull out the other cork. And they pull out both corks. They, they were... They were doing things that were not problem solving. There's a lot of friends you got when you have trouble with your wife and not getting along. They pull the cork out of the boat. Here's how they do it. They put their arm around and say, why don't you have children? That usually brings the marriage together. You're both at each other's throat. So they have children. Now they got the problems and the children. And the relatives say, why don't you have another kid? That's another. <laughs> another kid. And so there are many people that comfort you with their arms and put you in a deeper hole. So the recognition of a problem is number one, and the answer is not the answer I give, but the answer you find, whether it be roller skating, sailing, or other, you pick those areas, and get busy in them. And then the depression doesn't disappear, but it's less. Now, other things people do in depression that hurts them a great deal, they do things like this. We call it riding the same track. Does anybody here doesn't know what that means? Riding the same track? All right. I, somebody bought me a pony or a horse, and I'm very happy with that horse. I think it's great. And the horse is hit by a Mack truck. Now, here's what riding the same track means. If the Mack truck wasn't there, I'd have had a horse today. I'd ride that track in my brain. And I said, Jesus Christ, if I went out and rode in the country, it would have never been hit. It's gone, the horse. If you keep riding all these tracks in your brain, God damn it, I could have been smart enough not to take the horse out that day. In fact, if I didn't have a horse, it would have been better for me. I would have been depressed. And you invent all kinds of shit that run a circuit that goes nowhere. You know what I mean? The horse is dead. You just keep going over. And so new circuits are built. And so now they've ride these circuits all day long, and the circuits give them a headache. Mm -hmm. And they, they've got a bad headache, so they call up Clarissa. And Clarissa, are you doing anything? He says, no. And they call, they say, can I come and see you? And they come and see you and they say, let me tell you what happened with my horse. <laughs> and they love to tell the story of their depression to other people. Right. And the other people start all over again, no, a new horse? Yeah. <laughs> and so they ride now. Clarissa sympathizes with the misery and the loss of her horse, had I not had the horse. And they go on and on and they build a habit of a multiplicity of nowhere answers. Do you understand that? So whenever something happens that is... If the Empire State Building cracks in half, there's not a fucking thing you can do about it. So you light a cigar and go to the movie. But you can't handle that problem. You understand? There are certain problems you can't handle. So you just light that cigar. Now even if it's your Empire State Building and it cracks in half, and you light a cigar and watch the crack grow, she says, isn't that your Empire State Building? She says, so it is. <laughs> I would be terribly depressed. And you learn how to say, I'm sure you would. <laughs> but you're losing a building cost $20 million. You say, that's right. That's a hard thing to learn. But once the crack is there, you watch a crack building. People laugh at other people saying it's cracked. You know that? A successful play or a burlesque show 
The funniest part is when a guy catches another guy in bed with his wife. And there the audience laughs. <laughs> and the reason they laugh is because they are the sons of bitches that would suffer if that situation occurred. That's right. The people that laugh at any situation are the people that would suffer most in that situation. Mm -hmm. You understand? So comedy is based upon a lot of things that people can't accept, except for the other fellow. If it happens to the other fellow, it's accepted. So, in answering your question briefly, that's one of the outs in dealing with depression, not riding tracks. When you find yourself riding a track, you can either get out and try for something else, or try to see another director, another producer. But don't say, geez, I didn't get that part. Maybe if I did it this way, I would have got it. It's out. You didn't get it. Move on from there. Well, but so only be good. Only be good if you analyze it for future reference. Ah, in the sense, I that, won't do that in great. the future. Blah, right. It's you not do that kind of analysis. Right. You know, then you that? That's a little difficult to do, though. Well, you know what I mean? He says, if you try to find out the reasons why the director didn't accept you, so your next approach doesn't have those reasons. You, no, you patted him on the back and say, let's have a drink. And he hates drinking. <coughs> now, you have to find out what it is that might interfere with another person's behavior related to you. Well, but you made the point about if you're rejected by a woman, it may be something that you're doing that she won't accept. Now, if you're interested in gaining a separate job, certain things. Now you get into a problem. Let me yeah, just, what's the problem? If you do something with a woman and she rejects you, yeah. you say, I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah. And you go to another woman and don't do that, she may reject you. You understand know what I mean? Because what makes one person accept you, another person can be quite different. When you're dealing with people, there are just general formulas that work. But, but don't uh, say, well, geez, I better not, better not do that with a director. Some directors are so egocentric and simple that they need low-grade firing. You would almost be ashamed of receiving such firing. But some people need it. Some people are so hammed up, they require low-grade firing. What do you mean by low-grade? Low-grade firing? Uh, boy, you're sure a good ice cream. God, you're great. You're terrific. That's low grade? Yeah, it's low grade because because if you're a good ice skater, if you enjoy ice skating, that's all there is to it. If somebody says, I like your ice skating, uh, I like the way you skate, that's all right. But low grade flattery is uh, where I walk out and say, uh, I did this and that, and I did this and that. And you say, well, you did, how wonderful. There's certain things that certain people don't need. They really don't need it. They don't need certain types of criticism, like... If I ask him to take my kid across the street for a prank for a while I'm busy doing things, and the kid gets run over. You know what I mean? I say to him, you son of a bitch, you know, and he doesn't, we don't need that. Because the event is over. You know, the event is over. All that's needed now is that you get your kid to the right hospital, and you don't have him take your kids across the street. But you're not mad at him. We get mad at people after the event. Guy sells me a new car, tire, I get a flat, I get mad at the guy. And so the guy deliberately ripped the tire and arranged for a flat in the given time. Most people don't do that. And they call that paranoid in many instances, because I project that if I lend Clarissa <coughs> my bicycle, it will come back rusty. So I'm mad at Clarissa while she's borrowing the bicycle. For something I project she might do, which has no basis at all. And the next time I see her, she says, John, can I borrow your tennis racket? I punch her in the arm. <laughs> she hasn't even done anything yet. And now she's mad at me. And I say, are you mad at me? She says, yes, I said, I thought so. The thing, I created the whole situation. There are a lot of people that create situations. It isn't a situation that would normally follow, but they generate a situation. All right. Now, the, the story of the lifeboat is related to problem solving, and it's obvious. 
The story of the tightrope walker, you probably, some of you may not, never have observed this. The tightrope walkers generally pull on all their wires before they get up on the rope. You ever see that? You ever go to a circuit? They pull on a wire and they check the turnbuckles and the ladder. You ever see it? They get on a wire and check it like that before they do anything on it. Because they don't want any problems. Now, the Air Force gives you certain tests before you fly. They project a picture of a runway and you move the controls and it comes up and down and, and you, you suddenly a plane comes in view, which is all on a moving projector, and you either move up or down, they flunk you. Because that's a way of saying, I wonder if you can possibly make it instead of put you in a real plane and meet with disaster. Does that make sense? All right. Now, if you're a police officer, some part of the training used to be, I don't know what some exists today, they take them down to the morgue and they show them guys that were cut up and mashed and mangled machines and all that, and the guys that I can't stand that. It's going to be rough if he's a police officer because they're around all kinds of situations. So they try to deal with the situation before the event. We call it here, I have to use that, rehearsal for disaster. You know what that means? Rehearse for possible disaster. What if this occurred? What if that occurred? What if my wife jumps off the Empire State Building? What if my kid pushes my wife off the Empire State Building? Well, I wonder how they got to that value system. You know what I mean? If my kid gets angry at my wife and pushes him off the Empire State Building, you know what I mean? I must realize there's a lot of areas in behavior that I never dealt with. That's what the problem was. Or I didn't want to deal with it. And if I didn't want to deal with it, I didn't know how important it was. And if I didn't know how important it was, I'm innocent. I don't know if you know what I mean by that. You know, if you've got a glass of acid on the table, somebody thought first. I didn't know that. I know a lot of photographers that keep hype on the refrigerator. <laughs> they keep it bigger, and sometimes an emergency, you know, some dollar comes in, a person pays that run in, they pour the high coat, and you get it with the person. Now, the person drops dead, and the person says, I didn't mean to kill them. And he's like, yeah, but you cut a look at the guy. It doesn't say hypo, right? You know, and so he goes away feeling like a murderer, you know, as though he were, he's merely a victim of circumstances. Most normal people do things like that occasionally. And technical people have a refrigerator with a lock on it, or they have labels on it, poison, fat letters, or a bell rings when you touch it with a technical thing. So the whole idea of technical security is to try to diminish that possibility. That's why the new uh, condominiums with a, with a moat all around it, and the bridge, and the police officer here, and everybody living in that city is known. And when you want to visit anybody, come to the gate and say, I'm visiting Mr. Euripides Sneed. And if you just a minute and they call you expecting to visit, you know, John Smith and yet and you come in. But this way, you don't have gangs roving through this area, and you can walk around the park at night and not be clobbered. The probability is very low. So if you build a city security oriented, see what I'm talking about? You stand a better chance of being uh, taken care of. Now, if you have a child center here and you have a guardian in the child center, not one, but two or three. If the child center is big enough, the probability of anyone walking off with a child is pretty low. Now, if all children wear a belt with a beep system in it, and somebody did take a kid over the line, anybody in the community, that would be turned in. Because the kid's center, from a certain time to a certain time, the kids are there. If they're supposed to be at the medical center, that thing would be arranged and indicate that. Now, if you took a kid over the line because you wanted to pinch the little boy's ass, you know what I mean? This, this would indicate and go off and at the center they'd know where to go. They're going to beat you up. They're going to go to work on you and help you out and the kid and everything else. 
There's no more of this, oh, so you did that. There's no more of that. There's always correctional systems, just like an automobile where we change the tire when it's flat. And instead of beating up people, tormenting them, throwing them in prison, they uh, try to reorient them to whatever is optimal, yes. Well, the job, this system doesn't to No, I know that. Therefore, you have, to, you have to adjust your values to this system. You can come in here laughing. I said, what are you laughing? He said, I was raped tonight. Three times. I said, well, what are you laughing at? I could have been raped nine times. You know what? You don't have that many That's not true. The whole idea is, uh, uh, you know, who were you raped by? You were raped by a young kid, 17 years old, with freckles. And he says it was terrible. And then you were raped by a 75-year-old syphilitic wreck, which is quite different, isn't it? So, first of all, at least he didn't have anybody who was So, how bad is the situation? You know what I'm talking about? And when a situation occurs, you can only deal with it from then on. You know what that means? Now, you can't walk out of here now and be free of depression. You have to practice this system of whenever you're writing thoughts that go nowhere, which we all are victims of habit, you stop and say, hey, this isn't going anywhere, and you go on into another direction. Even if you have to call on Sam and say, let's go bowling, or go to a movie, or turn on TV, or paint, or discuss the subject technically with someone you can. Yeah. Here's an interesting problem. We have, a, in this society, a lot of times when you're just riding a bus or in a plane or driving, and you've got all that fantasy time. You do ride loops, and there's almost nothing else you can do. You know what I mean? Yeah. you got a two-hour trip in a car. Most of, I do. You sit there, and you're going through a lot of stuff. A loop. Now, because you can't do anything... You're driving the car, you can't go off to the library, you can't draw, you can't do a lot, you're just stuck with that. How about that? How would you write a loop, a new loop in a fantasy situation? Because that well, is, you're running the secret life of Walter Mitty there. Well, you're if I'm driving, driving a car, and there's a depressing <coughs> occur that I can do nothing about, I think you know what that means, then I have many tracks that I recall. You mean think about something else? Well, there are tracks. Like, I remember a trip to some beautiful islands in the West Indies, and uh, I remember the waters and the beaches, and I recall that and think about it. And I thought about that thing. Then by the time I arrive, I'm, I get in the habit of moving to another track that I can't, when I can't resolve it. But if I, I'm in a problem that I might be able to resolve, I try to write tracks of probable resolutions of problems. And I don't say, ah, I think I got the answer. I say, I've got an, uh, another approach. That's it. But if I say I've got the answer, I can be depressed. You know why? You think you know why? Suppose I sit back and think, I think I've got the answer to keeping Carl from screaming at me. And I said, to tell Carl he's a damn fool to scream And he screams back at me. So I say, I think I've got an approach. I don't know if it's the answer. So I use it, and he screams back at me. I said, apparently that is the Bible. Does that make sense? Then I come up with another thing. I say, Carl, you have excellent taste in this and that area. And he said, don't try to fight me with that shit. You know? And so, apparently, approach number two doesn't work. And I don't have approaches to that problem. But if I say, I think I got the answer, I think it'll all work out. I'm building myself up for a fall, okay? So stop thinking in terms of, I think I know what to do about it. Say, I'm going to try this approach, and it crashes. I'm going to try that approach. And when you run out of approaches, I say to Carl, Carl, I don't know how to deal with you in certain areas. And he says, fuck you. I accept that. But the idea is, uh, I don't say that hoping that it'll say, well, I'm glad you thought of it. I don't know what it's going to say. I'll just say it mechanically and learn how to accept what he says. Not necessarily agree with it, but that's, accept his That's answer. like not having any expectations. Well, you have this expectation. You're going to find out whether that system works or doesn't. But if you do nothing, nothing will work. You get nowhere at all. 
from doing something. And that's exactly what happens when the... Uh, I'll have to explain this to you people. People do this automatically in mechanical fields. Like you took a person that can't fly and drive a car and put them in an airplane and put the controls in their hands. This can't fly. The pilot dropped dead. And they're sitting in a seat with dual control. They will grab the controls. I can assure you of that. They won't run in the back of a plane and go like that. They'll grab the control. Most people. And if they push it too far forward, they'll pull it back to where it was. And it'll go up. And if they lean this way, they'll shove it over that way. You know what I mean? And pretty soon, they will have a rudimentary control. What do you think happens when you put a little kid on a bicycle? And he turns the steering wheel and he goes in a circle. And he turns it and it goes the other way. And he turns it and goes straight ahead. And pretty soon, he's developed control without instruction. People think instruction is somebody there. When you want to go that way, you turn the wheel up. Instruction occurs naturally. Meaning, if you put a kid on a bike, you're really moving that bike. When he gets to a hill at this angle, little kids will try to go up and they won't go up at all. If your hill is at that angle, you've got a pedal bike. It just won't go up. And the kid looks around at the incline of the hill and then proceeds up the hill. Did any of you try a bicycle on a hill that you, it's better to get off and walk? How many of you have done that? But your first estimate was, I think I can go up that hill. I'm not talking about one with a gear hill. Your first estimate is that you think you can go up the hill. That's why children, in trying all these things, it's a very good idea to put a lot of children out in the field and let them run up hills and drive a bicycle. There's a hell of a lot of learning you don't need to sit with and say, don't do this, you do that. You don't have to instruct. There's a lot of natural instruction. <coughs> the reason you don't see a three-year-old shoving a panel across the room is because they can't. Now, I can assure you, three-year-olds pull on anything. And if they went out in the back and pushed the car and began to move, the bus, they will continue to do that. But if they push on the car, they never move. They stop doing it. So, I'll use the term temporarily in quotes, natural instruction. It occurs all the time. But in behavior, when we get angry, we become obscure. I mean, we, we can't handle the problems well because anger dominates. And, and if we don't get angry in the situation, if we resent or reject certain patterns of behavior as being less useful, we tell the other person that your singing in the bathtub annoys me. Now, he said, well, other people like it. I said, that may be true. But it doesn't mean that singing is bad. It annoys me. Now, he said, well, Jesus, you're a temperamental son of a bitch. If he comes back with that, I won't argue with him. I might repeat that your singing in the bathtub annoys me, and this is one of my areas. He said, why don't you try to get over it? I'll sing a little less loud. Maybe I can accommodate to it. See, the whole idea of telling someone to shut up and stop singing in the bathtub, or stop, don't sing in the bathtub because you've got a lousy voice, it's just that it annoys me. And you tell it to other people <coughs> without anger. And if you continue to sing, then you have to make the next adjustment. You can shove cotton in your ears and move on. And if it's that important to you, you may tell them again without raising your voice. The raising of the voice may cause them to stop singing about them. When I get a flat and call them up, he says, fuck you. Mm -hmm. so the idea is, you just can't walk over to people and tell them exactly everything that you feel is wrong with them. Because a relationship consists of, there are certain areas of behavior that some people have. And I like some of your behavior, and some of your behavior I don't identify with. This isn't true. Some of it I don't identify with, some of it I identify with very much. So I tell him the reasons that I don't identify with, without anger, without you, son of a, without that. Just a description. And if you walk over and somebody did a play, a road a play that you don't care for at all, and you say, I don't care for that play at all, that person can't handle that. If you say, 
Now, how is it that you have the old lady kill everyone in the play? You know? He said, well, I thought that would be novel and different. So he said, well, I didn't think of it that way. And it was hard for me to conceive of why an old lady would be doing that. Instead of saying, I don't like it, the question for example, and you did that. Well, we always come at people in anger. Damn it, Carl, you could have oiled the bike. He said, do you know there's no oil within 11 miles of this bike? So the comment wasn't necessary. I said, I might say this, Carl, how come the bike wasn't oiled? There was no oil available. But instead I come out, God damn it, you could have oiled. He couldn't have. And I come out in anger. And when he says there's no oil within 11 miles, I've now declared anger, so I try to justify myself. Well, I was only thinking of it for your own good. But I still can't yield to I'm sorry I came after that way. Some people can't do that. They have to win. They have to win the argument. And so, to win an argument, you may lose. You may tell someone off and lose your job. <coughs> but telling someone off isn't always the answer. That's why I asked some of the people here about honesty many times. If, if somebody was very hysterical and, uh, and something happened and uh, they're bleeding heavily in an automobile accident, and this woman is saying, how is the child? And here she is bleeding, rapid heartbeat. How is the child? You say, the child is crushed to death. This may be the end of the person. And you say, they've taken her off to another hospital, and they're working on She seems to be all right. You like, and you may be able to save her. Does that make sense? So if you ask me whether it's right or wrong to lie, I can't answer that, because I don't know the circumstances. And the word lie doesn't come through to me as it does to other people. And I don't know whether the truth is always the best. I think the truth is the best if people can receive it and say, I didn't know you felt that way about the American flag. You see, if they can come at it and say, and say yeah, I didn't realize that there, there was another point of view. Some people think, normal people, that there's two sides to every story. Did you hear that one? There could be 30 sides to every story. Could you believe that? Or is that too difficult? Why is it two sides every time? There's the Japanese side, the German side, the Italian side, the American side of the war, right? And they're not all the same. And so, if you ask children about whether daddy loves mommy, is it daddy always beats mommy or and the little boy says mommy antagonizes daddy, that's why he beats her. And so you get all of these different stories out of a court of law in order to get the judge to understand that the old man who's beating his wife is right. He says, you ever seen when my wife takes those children and pulls them by the hair, although she's never quite done that, he says, when she does that, he says, I go to pieces. I'm like a little deer, you know. <laughs> and, and when the wife tells a story about what Sam does, she over-edits it a little bit in order to get the judge, because the judge, he doesn't say, well, sometimes my wife annoys me. Well, oh, people annoy other Pulling the kid up by the hand, carrying him across the room, and some of you may cause the judge to say he did that. Not only that, but he burnt the bottom of his feet while he was pulling by the hair. Now, people tell all kinds of stories to make the point. And they do, and you say, well, I, I don't think they really do that. Well, go see an ad to a movie. The greatest motion picture ever produced, cast of thousands. They will horrify you right out of your seats. <coughs> some, of the, some of the movies, like The Exorcist, made me laugh. I pissed in my pants when the guy was trying to chase the devil out of the little girl. It didn't frighten me at all. I thought it was funnier than Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> Get out, the devil, devil out! And the devil to me is supposed to be very smart. You gotta listen to this shit, man. You know, the guy that's been alive for millions of years, that torments me. So I found it to be very funny. Now, the little girl in bed, she got up and she said something very evil. He said, may your mother suck cocks in hell. The little girl said that in, in the exorcist. You know what I mean? Now, 
there's hardly anyone on earth that hasn't sucked a cock. <laughs> so it isn't a terrible thing. It's a thing that people do. But the people that wrote that story apparently consider that evil. But if you call somebody a name, which they are not, I would say you're a victim of error. And a child got up and said, I make value judgments before I have enough information. That's a shocking thing to me. You know, if a person says, I judge somebody before I know them, that would be fiendish and devilish. But not saying, may your mother suck cops in hell. But if you wanted to hurt people, say, may your mother suck, suck syphilitic cops in hell. Then you can make it more evil. Right, now, the whole idea of hell means misery. And the person is surprised at the evilness of hell. I can't understand what they think of hell. When a Christian reads about somebody that went to hell and what the devil did to them, they're so shocked, they must have thought the devil wasn't quite that mean. And they would have, they would not be true believers. Because a true believer knows the devil is mean as can be. That anything he did would not be surprising. If the devil took a sweet little child and boiled its ass over frying oil, you know what I mean? And then tore the child in half and threw it to starving rolls, and then reassemble the child and start all over again. I'd say, well, <laughs> you know, how much of a fiend can a person be? Now, if you saw movies of the most evil concepts of Satan, and then you saw Frankenstein, you think, gee, that's a nice situation, as compared to the other. So, I can never understand why a Christian is always surprised at an evil deed, especially if the devil gets into somebody. They say the devil got into him. And therefore, I would imagine him putting a child over their finger and shoving it up their ass and spinning it around with thorns on the end of your finger. Think, I couldn't conceive of anything Satan could do that would be horrifying. Because then I would be turning to Satan and say, you wouldn't do that, would you? Would watch me. Watch me. So, the whole idea of hell and hell is supposed to be made clear in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay? So, here you have possibly if an atheist who thought a lot about Satan went to hell, so meaning it was a hell, he would be prepared for the worst. Do you understand what I mean? Now, if, if Satan says, I'm going to burn your toes, at the same time run an iodine dip prong in both ears and spin them around, so you won't die, or you'll feel the pain. I say, is that all you can think of? <laughs> He's in no sense torturing you, because you expect shit. But if you take somebody else who doesn't expect so much shit, they will suffer in hell. You know what I mean? Now, if Satan sub starved me to death and then worked out a fine dinner table with a silver platter and lifted up with nothing but boiled shit with worms in it, I say, no thorns in it? And she says, that's a good idea. In other words, the whole idea of evil would be that you didn't expect to be that bad. Now, what can Satan do with another guy like himself? You see? What kind of evil can they concoct? <laughs> the <laughs> devil beats the devil. <laughs> So, the whole idea then of good and bad and evil and dealing with people has a lot to do with your expect expectations of heaven or hell and of other people. If you have good estimation, meaning, good estimation would mean if there were a tree shaped like a big mushroom like that and it were raining, if you got under that tree or that natural gigantic mushroom, you would at least have some guesstimation of the possibility of keeping rain off you. But if you got under a pointed tree, that was like a cone, and you stood under this area of the cone, you get a heavy delivery of water. And that would be poor judgment. And behavioral problems are really standing under the wrong portion of the shelter. Does that make sense to you? Now, a guy walking along the beach when it's wet and rainy and a lightning storm, carrying a metal pole, 
hides metal <laughs> Lightning is attracted to metal. And he said, but all the lightning strokes of this special world are only 50,000 volts of low amperage. They give me a hell of a shock of they don't kill you. And he keeps coming around saying, why do I suffer so much? I said, get rid of the pole. He said, but that's my religion. I said, then hang on. And he suffered. And people with a religious benefit are carrying a lightning pole. Because they go out and screw and then confess. And the lightning pole that they carry is designed to gather shocks. And a sense of morality is a shock-producing system. You understand that? No. Conscience is also a pole with many prongs to catch lightning from wider areas. A person with a great conscience has lightning rods all over the place. And they are shocked continuously. And they go to confession, and the guy adds another rod. He says, well, he says, you know, he gives them new sins to suffer with. And so they keep adding to that thing, and so you suffer. You understand? All right, now let me just tell you another area of moderate suffering. If I were a hairstylist, and I entered the International Exposition of Hairstyling, and I did something special with somebody's hair, and they all walked in and vomited the judges. <laughs> they say, my ability to judge what I think they would like is terrible. I don't think it was a bad hairdresser. I would say, I can't set hair for their value. Then I would do this if I wanted to win next year. I'd ask them what a good book on hairstyling is, whom they consider the greatest. They, the judge. Right. Then I would study all these goddamn hairstyles that they find, see? And I'd put them in my book, see? And I'd design something between those systems next year. Does that make sense? And then when he, another hairstyle was walking and says, well, John, that doesn't look like the type of hairstyle you would go for. That's right. Yeah, that's he said, what are you doing for him? He said, I'm set out the way. Okay? All right. Now, if you, want, if you want something in this world related to their values, don't do your thing. That's why at these sessions I speak this way, but on the outside I have to speak another way, because that's another system. So if you want to avoid depression, the idea is watch the game you play and learn something about your partners. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All right. Now you want to talk about something else too tonight. What did you want to get into? Yeah, just the service Excuse service. me, unless you have any questions along those lines before we get off that system. Now, it means you've got to put it to work. When you leave here, you've got to practice getting off the old track. Right. You are talking about it in the present system? Yeah, but I'm talking in terms of the, not getting the present system in the sense that what can be done if there is an interdisciplinary all-out approach on a national scale? What could be done? What could okay. be developed? In simplified terms, when you've got a house that looks like this, and the sun's path is generally across the house in this point, this roof is going to pick up a hell of a lot of heat if it's black and it faces the sun. You see that? Mm -hmm. Now, this side of the roof, we don't worry about because the sun's very skimmy. So some people have planned rooftops so that the inside of the building wouldn't get too hot. And what they did was they had a roof shaped like this. I wonder if you see that, or is that too difficult for you? Because the sun's rays do not fall on the flat part of a roof, on the flat, and heat the air under it. And in some, place, some cases, if you make a roof like this, and this is the summer sun, if you mirror coat this face, you know what I mean? Just this face. And black coat this face. The winter sun is way over here. And that'll heat the roof in the winter, and it'll be relatively cool in the summer. Do you see that? Mm -hmm. So you won't have to use air conditioners all over the place. All right. Now, if you make a house 
You got a house like this. If you've got a cold air generator, refrigerator, the cold air goes down the elevator shaft and mostly stays on the lower floors. So the keep, if you build high ceilings in buildings and you got heating in the winter, most of the heat goes up to the high ceiling. You ever climb a ladder in the winter in your house? You can't stand the heat. Did anybody ever do it? Step up on a chair near the ceiling, it's hot as hell. So the higher your ceiling, you may like to live in a timber house with timbered ceilings, hand-rubbed wood, and you've got a fireplace there. Everything is hot as hell up there. Now, if you have a roller skating rink here, ice skating rink, there's no food lockers under the ice skating rink because cold air drops down. You know what I mean? Now, if you design your roller skating and ice skating rink with food storage systems underneath as an incorporated design, do you understand? Because the cold air only goes down anyway. If you've got food under there and combine your refrigeration system, you're going to have roller sk ice skating and food storage. Does that make sense? We don't think that way because the guy that owns an ice skating rink, he's going, I'm not in the food business, see? And the guy in the food business doesn't team up with the ice skating rink. Another thing in the conservation of energy, the main thing that I've always had to say was that if you build a city that contains most everything that everybody wants, which is not too difficult to do, and uh, if you do that, you save a hell of a lot in transportation. Now, some of you have had some difficulty in understanding that. If you build a city that contains most everything, most everybody wants, they wouldn't want to go anywhere. And he said, well, I can't conceive of that. I always want to go somewhere. Here's what go somewhere means. Here's Carl's house. There's no movie nearby. It's out here. And if Carl wants to go roller skating, he's got to go over there. And he wants to go swimming, he goes out to keep his king. Now, if you move Carl out to the beach with a roller skating rink in his community and an ice skate, take all the things they and pull them into the community. But he said, but I don't like roller skating. There's another guy in the community. There's another community where there's art centers, music centers, and other things that has your kind of thing. I'm not saying that you'll never go out of town, but hardly if you have all those needs met. In other words, the best way to understand this is the thing I refer to many times as the luxury line which I, I always ask people here whether any of you have ever traveled on a luxury liner. Have you? Anybody here? Okay. A luxury liner has most everything on it. It's big, it has swimming pool, motion picture theaters, dancers, hospital. And everybody on the liner, if you travel first class, they come in, you can say, can I get you anything? Would you like some food or a cup of coffee or a snack in the afternoon? Everybody on that liner, I'm talking about first class. And I'm talking about the pleasure cruises. You know, they really are all out because they figure on the end of the trip they're going to get a tip. And so they're out to please you. So a luxury liner is, a, again, a total enclosure system that has everything. But there are no ocean liners for scientists that have a technical reading room and things like that. You know. But someday, ocean liner with microfilm, micro groove recordings will be able to have everything, especially with a small computer. You can see any film you want to see, not any film they're running. And someday, with, with that type technique, an ocean liner we call a closed system. But ocean liners don't have a mechanism underneath to catch fish, fry it, and, and prepare it for the guests on board. They carry fish in a refrigerator. You understand that? Okay. Now, have you people noticed out, uh, sometimes you may have noticed this, if you turn a light on at night, this is inside the room, and keep the light near the window, at this time of the year, you'll see thousands of moths and, and uh, termites on your glass outside the window near the light. Have you ever noticed that? Had anybody here ever noticed that? Right. Now, they found that if you take certain types of light, mix it up, and design a spectral bulb, 
It's along like a fluorescent tube with colors of green, red, blue, violet. It attracts different types of insects. And right around that light, you have an electrocution grid where the insects are electrified. They come within the vicinity of light. And underneath, you've got a basket that collects millions of insects in the Everglades. Right there with a light system. And they'll fly in by, I have, you have no idea in the Everglades, if you had a light bulb of 100 watts, there's no light for miles, everything will fly come into that area, you'll have a vat underneath it of billions of different types of insects. Now that's the best fertilizer in the world, the best source of protein. So if you're running out of fertilizer, you don't need to go to a bat's cave to get guano or birds yet. You can collect it right there. Now there are certain types of insects. When you set up a light to attract insects, uh, there's an unusual thing that occurs amongst some insects. There are some insects that are phototropistic. They go to that light, and some of the same variety are not that phototropistic. So they go away and they multiply, you know, and, and pretty soon they don't react to that light. So instead of giving a person a shot of penicillin, which some people can adjust to, in the future you'll have about 11 different factors that you give them at one time. So there's no chance of adjustment. You know what I'm talking about? Instead of just having a red light glowing, you have the entire photo spectrum oscillating, you know, and sound spectrum at the same time, and thermal spectrum, heat. So the insects that fly in there, you just can't say, well, I'm not, I don't react to that. It's like putting a thousand dollars in bills on the floor in an impoverished district in the street and expecting to come back in an hour <laughs> seeing anything there. They'll all pick them up. Now, I'm going to just show you something strange here. Suppose you had about a big industrial plant. I don't advocate this one. I just want to show you how you about insects. In this industrial plant, there are people that steal tools. There are certain people that steal tools. And all the tools that they steal give off a radioactive poison. In two months, there'll be no tool stealers around. I'm not suggesting we use that. But we can use that on insects. On people, what you do is you make what they call the tool room here. For those that would like to borrow tools, take them home and build things. Then when they're through bring them back, take out other tools. Make them available. Many people walk up and say, can I take home the dryer today? Say, Hell no, you can't. Well, sometimes they'll steal parts of it. But, but the idea is to make some things available. It may be cheaper in an industrial plant to make things available to people. Certain things. Right? And the things that you don't want to make available, they're just immobile. They just don't move out. Now, if you didn't want a dog pissing against a fire hydrant, it's very easy to do. You build in, in a certain section of the community where you've got dogs. The dog lifts its leg, and if you have high voltage over the surface, just the surface of the fire hydrant, just for a week, two days in any dog community, when a dog lifts his leg up and he starts pissing, the uric acid conducts high voltage right back up. And it's called the last piss. <laughs> the dog doesn't die. He just gets a slight shock. And every time they look at a fire hydrant, they walk the other way. <laughs> now, no, no, at a fire hydrant. All right. Now, I saw a sweet old lady sleeping on the beach. This is true here. And she had a nice big basket with all her shit. Her hat, too. This great big St. Bernard came and pissed. Right in, and she was sleeping all through it. Everybody on the beach was watching that. You know, but nobody chased the dog. Right? Now, she probably, or after that, reached for something. And we have no idea that it didn't rain or anything like that. No idea what happened. Now, if you want dogs not to shit in the grass or outdoors, it's very easy to arrange. You bring up dogs in an area, and that area has sawdust boxes and things like that. If they shit, you have a, a large area first with sawdust and texture. If they shit in that area, nothing. If they shit in this area, they get a shock. 
It's automatically wired that way. Then all you do is take them to an area and have your sawdust zones. And the dog will look for them in the public park. Do you know what I mean? The dog will be going like that, looking for the goddamn thing. And so all you do is bring them up for three days. And you don't need that electric stuff all around all the time. It's just the first piss or the third if the dog is real dumb. The third shock of the fire hydrant and the dog is through. You understand that? All right. So a lot of you people think that you have to be on the dog all the time, conditioning and working. You don't. You just do it once and then turn and looks. Now here are all these dogs walking down the street, never shitting on your lawn, you know, nodding their heads, good morning, and never doing anything offensive to anybody. And she says, my, what a wonderful collection of dogs they have in town. And all I'm saying is that the town is well-engineered behavior. See? So the idea is that the reason dogs do things that you don't care for because they're reinforced for. Now, human behavior, of course, putting such controls on humans uh, is, uh, is difficult because you have it in traffic. If you drive over the wrong freeway, in the wrong direction, people blink the lights, toot their horns, you know what I mean? And pretty soon you see a car coming at you and he tells you to pull over. They, they try to get you off the highway. Well, very few people will try for a U-turn. You know what I mean? It's hard to do. Uh, if you don't do a U-turn, you're going to have all kinds of problems. Did any of you ever go on over a freeway in the wrong direction yet? Anybody here? Raise your hand. It, it's a pretty nasty situation. But, <laughs> well, obviously, what happened is, however you got on that freeway may have been an off-exit. However you got on that freeway may have been an off-exit. But, but it means that there are insufficient precautions. A sign isn't always the answer. There has to be another system. Another system has to exist. Now, uh, another system in Florida is, is essentially this, that if you condition people, if you take a freeway and you make it with a slight slant, the entrance zone, and there are lights coming out this way. You know what I mean? They come at you when you're in the wrong direction. And it says, no. <laughs> no it's a bright no, light coming. No. And when you go down against the light, you don't see anything. There was a setup some time ago to conserve, uh, to diminish accidents on highways. They hope they diminish, uh, I think it was 15,000 accidents a year by polarizing filters. And let me tell you what that was about. They wanted to polarize the automobile windshield at 45 degrees, which uh, Polaroid J is called. And it's really a slight dimming, not, not as dark. I mean, the windshield is slightly dim. The headlights of the car has polarizing angle at this angle. It lights up the road, but doesn't get through your windshield, because there's two sheets of Polaroid. Does anybody doesn't know what that means at all? Raise your hand. You all know what that means? Mm -hmm. What's that? Say anything? No, we'll say it. I'll do it. This is a sandwich, uh, two sheets of glass and a material in between that has microscopic lines in it running through it. And the light that comes through this, which you can see better here, I think you can see the light coming through. It isn't that diminished. Uh, however, in, when you put them together and turn it this way, the other way, you can diminish the light considerably. See? So your windshield has a polarizing angle in it, and the guy's headlights has that. The light still comes out. When your windshield comes in line, it blocks out his headlights. You see that? You don't need to know how right now. But it's, your automobile, you can still see out. I can see everybody in the room. His headlights have this over it. So when your windshield is in line with headlights, they're down. Now you can change it. See? Can you see it the way that's, that's great. Oh, that's great. What, what is that called? No, because Polaroid J is a low-level filter. 
You can see through it. But enough to diminish his headlights, it doesn't do that to it, but it does that as compared to that. Well, I mean, for, oh, the, for, for the, if I drive the car, and they have the filters there, would the, my light be as intense as it oh, would be? 95%. Mm -hmm. See? Now, that is the type of, and that cuts down on accidents, and polarizing doesn't wear out. Why is that? Because you don't have such a bright light in your eyes? Right, when a guy is coming down the freeway at night, and he's got his brights on, and there's, uh, it's raining, you know, when you drive there, you can probably see anyway. You've got a lot of other problems. And then you don't even know sometimes whether he's in line with you or to the side of you. Mm -hmm. And polarizing filters give, let you see the light, but not that light. You guys do this on cars now? No. Oh, that's right. No. But uh, they will in the future. But I'm just trying to show you what this thing is about. Now, roughly, uh, when you're looking at the board, yeah. say the board is dimmed down yeah. or light. You can see that image, or you don't. And they... Uh, they use it in glasses on the beach. When the waves shine, you turn it, you can see the fish down under the water. You turn it this way, you see the reflection. Uh, I don't want to try it. If you want to see that, you can come over here, and I'll show you. Anybody that wants to see the reflection disappear on something. You take a look at that tabletop through this. See the reflection? You don't see the shininess oh, yeah, coming like that? Is it bright? No. Oh, it diminishes the reflection. Yeah. That's terrific. Alright, so if you're driving a car, you don't get reflection from the highway. That's ideal for glasses. Look at that. Hey, this would be great for uh, these uh, seances, John. You could make ghosts appear. This It looks like a ghost is appearing. Okay, let's go through what's happening. Terrific. Anybody else want to look at it? Terrific. You want to try it? Okay. Looks like a ghost. <coughs> okay, roughly we, we get back to what happens. Light coming from any source Co comes from that source vibrating in different directions. Every all kinds of directions. The light particles bounce every which way, up and down, sideways, forward. When you put that bar in front of it like this, that prison bar, it's a it's a, it's a lot of photochemicals like iodine crystals lined up in a straight line. Nobody lines them up. When you mix that up and it sets, it lines up automatically by itself. And as the light comes through it, any light vibrating in this way doesn't get through the prison bars. If you had a bunch of prison bars and ping pong balls moving through the air vibrating this way, they'd never get through. If they were vibrating at an angle, they wouldn't get through. But those that are vibrating up and down will come through. You understand? They fit through the prison bars. So you get a lot of sheets of light coming out of polarizing screen. Sheets vibrating up and down through the prison bars. When you turn the other prison bar this way, it doesn't come through anymore. Because the light is vibrating up and down can't fit through that prison bar while it's moving up and down. If you had a prison bar here and you moved your hand up and back, you'd never be able to get your arm through the bar. But if you move it up and down, you can get it through the bar. See? So it works like that. It causes light to move. So when you're driving down the highway and the light coming from the sun hits the highway and comes vibrating, sometimes the light vibrates at this angle and shines in your eyes, if your windshield is polarized at that angle, it'll cut it out. You see no glare. So, so much for anti-glare systems. Now, all of these buildings that we turn out architecturally, like the font in blue, is curved like that. It's a, it's a huge semicircle, the font in blue hotel. If you did away with the ornamental walls that they have there and put up what they call curtain wall, which is a decorative wall, and used a, a mirror-like surface on the wall. It reflects a lot of heat off the building, and you can cut your air conditioning by 
Then you collect all this heat on a central cylinder right here. So all the sun's rays fall on the central cylinder and all the air conditioning systems are operated by the heat of the central cylinder. See? And so you save a hell of a lot of energy. Do you understand that? Mm -hmm. The central cylinder is a, a heat-sensitive mechanism. Let me explain that to you. How do you make heat cold? How do you get heat to make a house cold? Uh, remember I said if you twist dissimilar metals together, just twist them together, dissimilar metals mean like aluminum and copper. They're very different. If you twist stainless steel and tin, ordinary steel, together. If you twist uh, lead and aluminum together, or copper and zinc, or any dissimilar, just twist them together like that. Here they are, twist them together. And you put a match underneath it like that and heat this end, this end becomes cold. Did you know that? Very cold. And the higher the temperature, the colder this end gets. That's called a thermocouple, if you've never heard the word. So inside this are dissimilar metals. So the heat from the sun hits the dissimilar metals, and there's a central tube where all the cold face, in other words, the hot face of the twisted metals are outside on the cylinder, where the sun rays hit. The inner face is on the inside of the cylinder. So the air moving through that is very cold. And that's what you circulate through the building. So you get air conditioning from nothing. The hotter it gets outside, the colder it gets inside. So someday, a lot of that kind of construction comes in. We know about conservation of energy. Another thing I mentioned, I think, to some of you, that if you, this is supposed to be an automobile in the future, that if some of you go to parts places and you buy a chop dampener, it's a strut that you put under your wheels, it's a cylinder. And every time you go over a bump with a big car, it atherizes the bump a little, goes up and down for a little while. And this cylinder dampens that. You ever see that? So you don't have the atheride. When you go over a bump with your car, it shimmers for a little while. And this cylinder, mm, once, and it's once or twice, and stops. So they buy those and put them on their car so the car won't be bouncing after a bump. Now, in that cylinder, if you put Freon gas in it, it's the same gas you got in the refrigerator. Every time you go over a bump, it compresses the gas and that operates the air conditioning in the car. So, if you're driving any car, any kind of bumps you go over, it generates air conditioning. And air conditioning is a heavy drain on the car. It's a pain in the ass. Eventually, they'll come to that. All right, any tire touching the ground, any automobile tire, can generate more than most Van de Graaff generators, electricity. Just where the tire, when it turns, where it leaves the ground, here's what that means. As the tire is going this way, this is where it's leaving the ground. It generates high voltages, great voltages, millions of electron volts. Someday they'll have a little wire up here like a comb that will collect that high voltage and store your battery. You don't need a generator. So a lot of those kinds of changes will make it possible for you to do a hell of a lot. Now, the trains in New York, the old subway had a good device. When you step on a brake, of your car, <coughs> a strap in the old days that choked the wheel. It's a, the wheel turns as a, like a leather belt around it that they pull tight. That stops your wheel from turning. But you wear out your brakes. When you step on a brake, it chokes the wheel. There are two things that get around the wheel and press against it to choke it. Disc brakes is like a photograph record turning with two plungers that squeeze the disc. Now they get hot and they wear out. Whereas a subway train used to have an electric motor in the wheels. Now when you stepped on the brakes, the wheels would turn electric generators. And turning an electric generator, you probably didn't know this, if you try to turn it, it takes a hell of a lot of energy because it generates electricity. So it slows up the train and charges the batteries for the next start. 
During the time the train is about to start, they get their electricity generated when they brake. We don't have that. If you use your brake to compress the gas in a Freon cylinder, when you jam your brakes on, it compresses gas, and that, that's a lot of resistance. And it builds up gas under pressure, and that'll give you refrigeration for the next mile. So we got to get brakes that just don't wear out the wheel, but do something else. Does that make sense to you? All right. So all the way down the line, now let's talk about areas of great scarcity, like uh, areas in Arizona where they have water shortage or Death Valley. You have a sink here. And the sink is a little higher than the toilet bowl box. And whenever you run water, it goes into the toilet bowl box here. See? From the sink, it drains into that. And if you flush the jar with water, you can't use anyway. But if you flush your jar with fresh drinking water, it's a lot of water that goes down each time you flush the jar. And you picture all these houses and all these people taking shits and pisses all day long and flushing two gallons of water just to get rid of one piss. And there's a water shortage. It's pretty rough. So, if you don't understand me, the sink is here, this is the toilet bowl here, see? The sink is a little higher than the toilet bowl, it's a box, water box, back here. So the water from the sink that you're through using drains into that and used to flush the junk. Now, if you do a lot of that all over the country, hundreds of millions of gallons of water are saved. Now, if you took a blade of grass and you figured out how long it would take to make that grass, how much water it would take to make that grass grow this size, it'd probably take that much water. But let me tell you how much water you use on your lawn. Unbelievable. You, when you consider the water in the lawn, each blade of grass is that much water, that volume of water, over a period of time. And it can only use probably less than that. So we have to design new type of lawn with grass implanted, I mentioned this many times before, in a packet or paper, grass seeds. They're packaged, and you lay that paper over your lawn, and the seed contains all the nutrients for one year for that grass, and contains all the water that that grass will use, and you don't have to water your lawn. In other words, an egg has that theory. When the egg is laid by the mother chicken, you got this interesting thing. There's enough substance in here to be, con to, to be converted to a full chick, baby chick, and all the stuff, the yolk and the white, disappears, and you get a chick. Because there's enough packet in there. The chick doesn't need to be wrapped on, get a little water in the egg, it doesn't require any food, or cleaning out the shed. The egg is the substance. So someday, a cabbage will look like an egg. You plant it in the ground, and that has enough substance to produce a full-grown cabbage. When you consider all that water, which we don't do, pump out there on the fields to get a blade of grass going, I'd say 98% of the water you put on your lawn goes down under the ground. The water is wet for a little while, the rest evaporates and goes down. You see that? So, you want to conserve energy, there have to be specific programs like this. And people say, well, where the hell do you get all the money to do that? You save a lot to do that. Don't you see? They always say, geez, you want to build this and do that and build these round cities? If you did that, your taxes and everything else would drop considerably, and you can leave that air conditioner on continuously. Nobody's going to turn it off. You don't need it now. It's not that hot. He says, yes, it is. And so with the thermal system, you got air conditioning all the time. You can turn it off if you want to by changing the angle of your reflection. Well, let me show you what I mean. If this is that same apartment house I drew before, the font of blue, something big and round like that. Let's say that these people here, they didn't want air conditioning. So they turned their reflectors. It says when you don't want air conditioning, turn your reflector. And the hot rays are directed from their house back onto that cylinder. So you got additional reflector on the cylinder for the others that do want it. 
and you can even boil water on one half the stone and you paint it black and the sun's rays make hot water for the showers. You see that? So there is a hell of a lot you can do. I also mentioned that uh, lighting in the houses is very bad, very inefficient, doesn't light the house well. You probably want soft light coming from the walls all over. Another way to save the soap. We really use the center portion of the soap. It just diminishes and all your soap dishes get slimed up. Is that right? I mean, and you throw away a hell of a lot of soap. And so, in the future, you know what they, this massage shower that they have nowadays, it's pulsating? That pulsating shower is a very good way to wash soap off the body. And so, soap in the future, if you want soap, or if they use soap, will come from the dispenser in the shower head. It'll scan your body and deposit the soap. Then you soap up. Then you turn on the shower. And the shower will be designed to pulse that soap off, if that's what you want. Yeah, they got this liquid shampoo for bodies now. Yeah, you don't waste very much except what remains in the bottle. Someday, the bottle itself will dissolve the whole thing. You don't have anything. The bottle, too, is a composition that can be dissolved. They now have things like this. Uh, they can develop a fertilizer that can take care of the ground for one year. We don't need to fertilize for a year. Experimentally, it works like this. Each packet of fertilizer contains a capsule. This is water-soluble, this fertilizer, in two weeks. The capsule dissolves and the ground is fertilized. This one is designed to dissolve in nine weeks. So you throw in these different capsules over a period of time and your ground is fertilized sequentially. See what I mean? Instead of you going out there doing that. You can also design a thing for golf courses in which you spread your water in capsules that dissolve at a given time. It keeps the lawn moist over a long period of time without you pouring tons of water in there. There are a lot of tremendous possibilities. Another terrible thing about our cities is when you look down the freeway, you've got lights hanging there you can see. And you can see all those lights from an airplane too. And airplanes don't have to see those lights. The only thing you want to see is the highway. You don't want to see those lights. So if you put the proper type reflectors on, well, you hardly see the light, but the highway is lit up. Just the highway. And then in the distant future, only the highway is lit up. The highway is luminescent. Not yeah. these lights in there. But you see those source of light, they're a pain in the ass. If you put a disc in front of that light, in front of a house, just a black disc, the board will be lit up, and you won't see the source and these reflections on here which are annoying. So light, lighting of highways is very bad today. Lighting of cities, they waste a hell of a lot of light. And so the light's always on at the same intensity, even though there's a full moon. Someday there'll be photoelectric devices in there and vary the intensity. So it's in accordance with the amount of light. You see what I mean by that? And all the lights on automobiles will be off. Because the highway will be lit up. You don't need to bring your batteries down. So if you want to conserve energy, you don't put up a sign, don't drive if it's not necessary, turn your lights off when not in use. You just build it into the system. Now, let me tell you how it would be if you had the same kind of system in your body. If you had the same kind of system as the system we live in in your body. We're not like this. You'd be sweating when you didn't have to sweat. You'd be freezing when it was warm. And if you wanted to take a shit, your body would say, not now. <laughs> and, and the system you live under is that kind of system. Everything is wired backwards. But if you build it in, it's much easier. Now, when you take a piss or a shit, I mentioned to some of you, they now have this, so it's no longer new. They have big tanks in which the piss and shit settle on the bottom of the tank. And then bubbles of gas come up called methane gas. And then they take that gas and run it through a tube and ignite it and they turn gas turbines. 
that generate electricity. So the shit that you collect from 11 million people in New York generates a hell of a lot of electricity. So instead of dumping it into the ocean, and then what you get from the shit, what you reclaim from it, you can make fertilizer after you sterilize it. So there's a hell of a lot of possibilities. I also mentioned to some of you that weren't here what you can do with the radioactive waste. Did you hear that? Yeah. Okay. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, some of it. Okay. You put it in a, in a tube, the radioactive waste. You mix it in, let's say in your terms, you mix it in with cement. as a radioactive particles here that nuclear plants can't use. Then you put a jacket over that of uh, PVC plastic. That's like these plastic water pipes, you see. Then there's another jacket over it of an elastic polyester material. Then there's another jacket over that, a very light jacket. You got about 10 jackets. Then it's buried down underground, these pipes, deep, near hospitals. Then you got all the contaminants of hospitals moving through those pipes and radioactive rays going through all the bacteria and everything else. We can use it there. We can use radioactive waste in food plants where you have the radioactive material is in the walls of a pipe. And inside that is another pipe, and inside that another pipe, and then a glass pipe. And the fluids, milk or anything moving through that is radiated by X-rays and gamma rays from the nuclear materials. No particles get in, just the wavelengths coming out. The radioactive material is sealed like in a ball. Even if you seal it in a steel ball, X-rays come out. And if you have foods that you wish to preserve, the rays kill the bacteria in that food. In many cases, when you take grain and store it in the grain storage system, there are all kinds of bugs in the grain anyway. And they eat the grain. A lot of grain is eaten in the storage system. So if you run that grain through the X-ray tube, a short run, all bacteria and bugs die in that tube, and the grain is not eaten. So we can use radioactive material probably to save a hundred million tons of food every year all over the world by the radioactive system, instead of dumping it into the sea. And if you had to dump it into the sea, you build a pipe under the ocean, big pipe, 20 feet in diameter, about a half a mile long, and circulate the waters of Biscayne Bay through it, and that'll kill a hell of a lot except fish are not circulated through that, but it'll kill a lot of undesirable bacteria. Now we haven't turned, you see, we don't have enough agencies to find use for what you call waste material. I mentioned to some of you, most of the food wrappings in the future and most of the Coke bottles will be water soluble. So when you go on a picnic, you throw your wrappings away and it rains and it, it's dissolved. And so there's another thing we can do. And uh, I mentioned to some of you here, wherever there's a river that runs, say, 20 miles, and most rivers run, the water moves like that. But getting stuff back up the river is a real pain in the ass. <coughs> if the river moves this way, you can go down that river with a lot of boats and pull a lot of freight. But if you've got to bring stuff back up against the water, your fuel bill is very high. And what you do, if you can follow this, this is a little difficult for some of you. This is the river in large. And the water is moving that way. If you build an intrusion sticking out of the land like this, like this, it's a dam sticking out of the side of the river. And the river moves this way, and then you build another dam sticking out like this here. Excuse me, this one here. And then you build a small waterway in here. The water moving this way, a lot of it will get into this, and the pressure will cause the water to move that way. 
and the water moving this way will drag the water out of that. So you can get a free ride, one boat, boat width upstream. This water here will be moving slower. You understand? And this water here, faster. So you can get a free movement back in the other direction. Anybody have difficulty with that? Hmm? You do? You don't understand it? Okay. You understand that if there's a wheel turning that way, if you lean a wheel against it, lightly, it'll be turning the other way. Like that. If this wheel turns that way, it turns this wheel the other way. So it's possible, by putting one wheel against the other, this wheel is turning that way, this other wheel will be turning the other way. The same with a river. I can't put a wheel against it, but if, if you build a dam sticking out this way, the water moving around sucks the water out of that area, like that. And the water moving this way, some of it goes in and pushes the water back up that way. So you get a free trip back up the river without wasting fuel. So we can do lots of things like that, plus 8,000 other things. So the guy says, but how much will it cost to build? Whatever it costs to build, it's cheaper than letting things as they are. Shall we go for coffee? Uh, ranch house all right?